We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 467 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Jay Hilton, and people seem to keep guessing it the second I say talking about the tactics. Again, they are right, because today my guest is none other than to help me celebrate the victory against Espanyol and Barcelona, being named champions of the Liga. It's the purest. Welcome back. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me back. Proud to be here for this celebration episode, as I think you can call it. Yeah, and I do appreciate not only you being here, but you actually fulfilling your obligation to be here when I ask, because I do hint it, I give it away, and people in the comments are always, especially YouTube, are always saying, oh, you're definitely having the purists on. I'm like, eh, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe. But here he is to help me celebrate again, Barcelona Campeones of the Liga. And that is where we begin, too, because, <laughs> Julio, I love the fact that most fan bases, and of course on social media in eight to ten words, cannot keep two ideas in their heads. So... I feel like we keep going in this circle where people say, don't take the Liga titles for granted. It's been four years. Again, I've done two shows a week or a show a week, YouTube videos, match reviews, TikToks, whatever, in four years. And I don't take for granted that Barcelona are champions of Liga again. Like, I didn't even make an Instagram post this year. And I said to my wife, oh, wait, I didn't even... Uh, yeah, I made the YouTube video and all that stuff is really taking place of that stuff. But immediately, I didn't like celebrate. I didn't have any, I didn't post on the internet in any way of any celebration. And I kind of said, maybe I should have. There was regret because <laughs> they're, it, it doesn't happen all the time. They're champions of Spain. Once again, that was Xavi's goal. That was Xavi's mission for the season. He accomplished that goal. He accomplished that mission. But again, because people cannot keep two things in their brain at the same time, when I say take it for granted, people are like, well, I'd love to take it for granted, but... Barcelona are so far away from European glory and there was the Champions League this season was such a failure that I have to sum up the entire season in totality. So I can't, I, so it's like, I think people, the natural inclination is to say, well, <laughs> there must be ways to disparage the Liga and to downplay this La Liga title because in totality, Barcelona still are way off European glory, and that, that dilutes this, this Liga title a little bit. And then again, there are those little, little ways that people have diluted this title in terms of other teams, XG being way too low against Barcelona, and Barcelona, as you've looked at, have probably been lucky at times, as well as the Liga as a whole in talent and financially being, being so cash-stricken and having the struggles that they are compared to the EPL, where it's difficult to say, well, the Liga isn't really on the top of their game either, and maybe that's what Barcelona took advantage of. So all of those 
this ways to dilute and disparage the Liga are possible. But again, if you could just say, it's exciting, I'm really happy they won the title, but also I agree that they're far away from Champions League success, I think this title means something to you. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you have to look at it in context, and the context is that people thought that Barca would be competing, you know, for the Europa League last season. Um, Europa League places, I mean, not, I mean... Yeah, we won't talk about the Europa League, but people thought that this Barca project was doomed because of the financial situation and, you know, Koeman had run the team tactically into the ground and it seemed as though it was the end of the world and it's not the end of the world and the, the recovery um, on the pitch from from this team and, and from the decision makers has been such that, that it should be deemed as a huge success, in my opinion. And yes, of course... The, the rebuild is, is only at the beginning. But from my perspective, they're ahead of schedule with this title. And um, yeah, anything above that is, is, has to be the, the agenda for the future. But for now, you can absolutely uh, celebrate this, this league title for, for what it is, which is a very important milestone and, and a validation that the project is headed in the right direction. I mean, it doesn't happen all the time. This is the 27th. People are saying 26, 27. I keep getting confused there. But I keep seeing 27th league title in the club's history. I counted it out. It seemed to be 27-2. The first was in 1929, the first iteration of La Liga. Barcelona won that shortened little season there. But that was 93 years ago. 27 titles in 93 years or 22 or 27 of 92 seasons. That's not too bad. That's good for 29% of all titles won in the Liga. But again, even 27 in 93 years, it means that you can go some time and some spaces without getting one. I mean, remember, one of the core moments of Barcelona's history is in 1974, Johan Cruyff arrives and they win the Liga. And we don't talk about, uh, not by one Champions League at the time, but we don't talk about the European Cup at the time. We don't talk about European glory at that time or even the Intercity Bears Cup, but they've already won. So that was kind of already checked off the box, uh, the, the list. But it had been a while since any title had come to Barcelona. So that 1974 La Liga title had been 14 years. It was so essential that they won that title and everything came down to that. As good as that team was, uh, even in that season, you could disparage that La, uh, La Liga was in a weird way. That athletic club and we also see that. But anyway, I'm not going to do a history lesson for you because <laughs> going back to this season, it doesn't really matter how it happened. The 11 one nothings, another way that people can disparage the way Barcelona played. It was a team of young and old with Pedri and Gabi and Balde being starters and being so important to the team. But then you also had Busquets, who was absolutely essential this season to getting it all done. And I did find a bit of irony, Jaleel, as well, that winning the first Liga since Messi left amidst the news that Messi could be returning <laughs> seems to <laughs> sum up this season as well, where it felt like, and I will admit to this too, it does feel like because the project is still a work in progress because it is still continuing that it did feel like, well, this was kind of a Liga that not say Barca didn't deserve, but you don't expect them to have already won the Liga, especially by double digits the way they did at the point of where this project is. And to the, and to the, to that point, I want to talk about Espanol just a second here because Espanol to me also kind of summed up the opponent as to why this made sense that Barcelona would in this juncture, not only are they a rival, I went into the rivalry between the two. You can check that out on the YouTube channel earlier in the week. But they now, that being Espanyol, have the worst winless run against any opponent in their top flight history. They've gone 26 derbies in a row without a win against Barcelona. It's the worst winless streak by any team in any regional derby in the competition. Barcelona have dominated Espanyol, and Espanyol have not been good enough. They're a team that are facing relegation, and it seems like, yes, over the course of the season, 
Did Barcelona get Hadafe when they were in the rele- relegation zone? Yes. Did they get Valencia when they were in the relegation zone? Yes. They seemed to pick up these wins when teams were at their worst over the course of a Liga. That's fine. But again, it was all about getting the job done, going out there, and understanding that desperation from the opposition, emotion from the opposition, were always going to be a part of that equation. And in fact, I'm going to galaxy brain it and say that when you're dealing with opponents who have their back against the wall, that's what they always say, right, in football, that when a team has their back against the wall, I mean, just like a scared dog, that's when they're ready to bite. And Barcelona, did they did a good job to make sure they took their hand out of the cage quick enough. They didn't get bit, and they got the job done. one nothing over and over and over again. It doesn't matter. They had their heroes of the season who had their issues elsewhere, but they got the job done. And again, that's why I think they're, they des- they're deserved champions. Real Madrid admitted it, that they deserve champions because they found ways. And I'll let you talk about Espanol here. Like against Espanol, they said, well, this team isn't good enough. And instead of going down to their level, we're just going to take advantage of them, especially in the first half. Yeah, I mean, this this is a team that really is set up to, and I, I sort of mentioned this in a recent video of mine, is that it is a team that's set up to to punish teams of inferior quality. Um, and I think that has been, of course, with all the nil-nils and the one-nils, you could question the, the effectiveness of that. But I think the blueprint is against teams of inferior quality, create as many chances to exploit that as possible rather than taking a control first approach and maybe you know not not creating as many opportunities as as maybe you would this team really goes hell for leather especially in first halves of games as we saw against espanol to to put teams to the sword that's been the blueprint since the um i think it was viadolid was it the second game of the season Barca's first victory and it it really has been the case. I, I know people make a big deal of the nil nils and the one nils, and to that I would, I would question when people say that La Liga's quality is poor because I think that's not true. But generally, when up against teams that are struggling, this this team is relentless. They really are relentless. And you know, for a team that, like you said, is as young as it is, and and in the summer was as. Uh, well, we, we really had no idea how Lewandowski, how Rafinha, how Kunde, how all these players would fit in. So for a team that was as ragtag as it as potentially it was, and as young as it is, to be able to consistently do that has been very impressive. And yeah, I don't buy at all all of the degrading of this league title. I think it's just, frankly, it's just it's just Madrid-based media that 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 have been trying to do this forever and now have a very easy way to do it through social media but that's another that's the whole conspiracy theory that i won't get into we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, instead of talking about 
you know, even going goal by goal throughout that game, I, I think it's more, let's say, prudential to talk about individual players here. So the guy I want to start talking about with this game, I think, was the man of the match. The one who deserves his flowers was the one that, from Barcelona starters especially, was a guy that you did not expect to get this much out of. And I don't mean Christensen. I know Chelsea fans warned us. They came on my show and they let us know Christensen, ah, in those big moments, he does. He seems to get a stomach bug or has his issues and he's not the best. I'm talking about Alejandro Balde, who I've said a billion times over that I did not know what to expect from him this season. I didn't expect he would be in the first team. I expected he'd need another season at Barca B. But not only has he been in the first team, he's the best 19-year-old fullback in world football on the left side. You could argue maybe on the right side, but definitely on the left side. <laughs> Let's be safe with it and say that he's the best 19-year-old and, and under fullback in the world, maybe even to U21s. I, I could almost push it to that point. But he wins. He winds up getting his first La Liga goal or first goal for him of the season. The second one scored. Finally, an assist from Pedri. Jaleel, you and I are numbers guys. It took 40 key passes for Pedri to finally record an assist this season. I, I didn't even find a way to look up how what, what number two is. Not to say I'm guessing that he is number one. I can't imagine that there's any other players in world football who took all the way till May to have that many key passes without a goal on or without an assist or a goal scored on the other side of it. So I, I'm assuming he had the record that was just broken and now it, someone else gets it. But I'm assuming someone else gets it in the teens or the 20s or whatever it, what it may be. But yeah, for Alejandro Balde, first time in 48 games, gets a goal. But that's not what it came down to. He was unbelievable against Oscar Heal, who was not up to the task. He is a Segunda Division player. Is Oscar Heal clearly proved it. There are players for Espanyol who will make the drop, or if they do drop, we don't know yet. But Josuelo, Sergio Darder, Cesar Montez, Nico Melamed, Javi Puado. I expect those players to be playing elsewhere, but Oscar Heal will likely be with Espanyol next season. But Balde in that 1v1 situation. Araujo's diagonal back, ball over the top, making it happen too. I've been praising Araujo, and then he winds up... It seems like every time I give him a compliment, the Manorex game, he succumbs to the press, makes a mistake, or doesn't look confident on the ball. But then when I'm quiet about it for a few few games, a few days, then he winds up having a ball like that. So a lot of credit to Araujo to, to, to set that all up. And then Gabi pulling his man underneath by dropping quite a bit deeper, allowing Balde all the space in the world on that left side to take Oscar Hill to school just 1v1, delivering that, that, that ball in for Lewandowski. Uh, apologies, too. I'm now confusing, and I'm mixing up the first goal and the second goal, if, I mean, if, if that's where the confusion lies. So the second goal was scored by Balde. It was Pedri getting to the end line, crossing it in, and Balde finding space, finishing well with the left foot. But again, I think it was the Lewandowski goal and the assist, which I think that's why I began talking about that, because that excited me even more, because that showed you what the peak example of what Balde can be next season it's a it's a 1v1 situation for Balde, getting to his spot, crossing in, a perfect ball for Lewandowski, and Lewandowski not having to do much of anything other than put the ball in the back of the net. And that is the formula, which I know it feels like it's FIFA, but that is the formula that moving forward for Balde, I mean, if he, if he finishes a season next year with 15 assists or even 12 assists, I mean, you could see the actual progression in his talent. And you saw it over the course of this season, just how good he got especially as Xavi gave him more and more responsibility to get forward. Yeah, it's kind of actually brought about a shift in the, the not the game model itself, but the, the specific dynamics of it is, is Balde's rise on the left. Because, you know, at the start of Xavi's tenure, you had Ferran Torres or Ansu Fati primarily, or even Memphis Depay as the left winger, and with, with Jordi Alba behind them. And although Gavi, you know, tucked inside 
now as those players did. The key difference was that those players were staying outside or staying on the touchline for a lot longer. So Ansu Fati, although he does like to drift inside, actually does also want to hug the touchline quite a bit. Same with Ferran Torres was doing that, Depay was doing that. And then the later movement inside would allow Jordi Alba's attacking runs to attack the space. And that was a, that was an important part of, of the Xavi game plan in the first season. Um, what's changed is that with Valde's Valde sort of, uh, arrival is that Gavi now doesn't, he, he tucks in much earlier. So Valde's the one hugging the touchline rather than, you know, the Ferran or the Ansu. And he's now the guy receiving ball to feet, taking players on. So he is playing as a winger and not as an overlapping fullback, which is what Jordi Alba was doing. And to play as a winger, you have to be comfortable and competent beating players in a static 1v1 situation, which is very different to Jordi Alba, you know, making late runs in behind. You know, it's a, it's a different skill set. And Balde, if he can consistently do that, if he can consistently, you know, pick the ball up, on the touchline, beat a player and, and deliver, he's he's fulfilling a, a, a role of a forward. And I hope very much that he he takes that to a very high level because he'll have to if, if this is going to be the continuation of, of how the team operates. He will have to become very, very good at that. Um, but it definitely, it's an interesting shift. And obviously then it's allowed, you know, Xavi to play uh, more of a midfielder as, the, as that winger on paper or the, the inside forward really um so it, it's had a his his rise has had an, an impact on the entire dynamics of the team if he if he grows to to a world class level at that role then it completely transforms Barca's attack and it's partly what's been missing over the last few months actually is is consistent um chance creation from that area of the pitch he's only 19 so you know He's got a lot of room for growth, but if he can make that growth and, and become a world-class, essentially a world-class winger, which is what, let's be honest, is what's being asked of him, then, yeah, it, it takes Barca to another level, and it's very, very exciting. And he's definitely one of those players that you, because of the way that you just set that up, there is this world that if they bring Messi in and Jordi Alba stays, that Jordi Alba could, in theory, because of the systems and questions being asked of having Messi reincorporated into your team, Jordi Alba might become the starter again because of a comfortability with Messi because of how that would work. And I just want to not say set people up for that, but have you be prepared for the fact that if Messi arrives, that is going to mean a change of system. And it might be a change of system on the left side back to kind of the way it was. Who's the left back that works best with Messi over the course of time? And that was and has been Jordi Alba. And so again, it would be nothing that Bale has done wrong, but you could see a world where Jordi Alba becomes a left back again, and then Balde is just a left winger. I'm not saying that he would lose time, but I'm saying is he would not be the left back in that system anymore. He would then move and just truly just be a left winger instead of starting. I mean, especially if they sell Ansu Fati, then you're just talking about Ferran Torres on the left side. Who knows if he's around as well? But all right. So for the Liga too, what I do like about, especially yesterday, the two goals from Lewandowski, what I do like about Liga is over the course of a season, not to say that you kind of get to hide the fact that Lewandowski had what is it, two goals in 10 games there or two goals in 12 games. He had a rough, uh, rough little stretch there. But over the course of a full season, Lewandowski, 21 goals, league goals from him, likely going to win the Pichichi. I think he probably is about two away. I think if he gets a 23, 24, he definitely can wrap it up. But what I like to see in the league is that his XG and the total goal is interesting. 0.76 XG, 0.76 goals scored. Erling Holland, 0.74 XG. 
0.98 goals scored. <laughs> so Erlen Holland is exceeding his XG, while Lewandowski is exactly at his XG, basically scoring the goals that he was expected to score, hence the, the, the name. And then I'm going to throw this in there, just kind of whisper it a little bit. Ansu Fati was also in the top 10 in XG in La Liga, 0.50, and an 0.29 goals per game. That's the least of any of the top 10 forwards in the Liga and the EPL, which again, reminds you, Ansu Fati, who came up and was brought to the first team because of his ability to score the goals and strike the ball and to finish chances, that is exactly what has left him. He has moved. He has moved well. He's put himself in opportunities to score goals, hence why his XG is so high. But there is something in his boots that has not worked this season, and he has started to miss the nets, whether that's confidence, whatever it is. But that high XG tells me that Ansu Fati is where he needs to be, especially with his time on the field being lesser, being a sub for so much of the season. He, even as a sub, has put himself in the top 10 in XG in the league of this season. But again, it's his finishing rate, which is so absurdly, uh, remarkably low that it would be impossible for him with such a high XG to do the same thing again. So there, just that thing sums up all the confidence I have in Ansu Fati resetting over the course of the offseason if Barcelona were to hang on to him. However, and I'll let you talk about Lewandowski and Ansu Fati and Rafinha, basically all the forwards here, the purists at the same time, because in that game as well, sorry, at, at, after the, at the parade yesterday, Xavi was on record saying we would love if, Ansu, if uh, Rafinha was around. Of course, he's going to say those things, but it seems like if Xavi had to pick between Rafinha and Dembele or, or Rafinha, Dembele, Ansu, and Farron and pick two of those four, he's picking Dembele and Rafinha, both who are better on the right wing. Plus, he wants Messi back. So I'm trying to figure it all out and say, what does Xavi possibly want here from all of this? Because even Rafinha yesterday, showing you again, it's against uh, Espanyol. I felt like every time I bring up Rafinha and he plays well, it's like, yeah, but it was only against. But again, like I, you can only play the teams in front of you if you're Rafinha in that way. And he played well against the teams, as you mentioned, the teams that were ready to be taken advantage of is who Rafinha was so good against. And even that third goal. Did they make it look easier? Was Espanyol garbage? I think it's a little bit of both. Espanyol, they were putting numbers forward, lost the ball, turned it over to Busquets, and then it was a 5v4. Espanyol had the extra defender. Didn't matter. Leading pass from De Jong to Rafinha made it a 3v2. Espanyol still had the extra man, but neither center back picked up Lewandowski, allowing him to drift to the back post, and it was an easy finish from the Rafinha cross. But again, like Rafinha involved in that movement. He also started the first goal, that move as well. But yeah, I feel like for Rafinha, this match does sum it up. If it was, it was an inferior opponent, as you mentioned, Rafinha was up to the task. If it was a bit harder, eh, well, then you had your questions about him. And then going into next season, who Xavi chooses, I mean, who the club sell, decide to sell without a sporting director and without a director of football as well. They're both gone, with Jordi Cruyff also announcing that he'll be gone on June 30th. That does bring up a lot of questions on that forward line, I think, more than any other spot on the field in the offseason. Even though... Busquets leaving as a pivot is probably the number one priority of a position, which is which I find all to be very interesting. That the pivot is the one you need to replace first, but the forwards are the ones I think with the most variance as to how that shakes out next season. Yeah, I'd agree hundred percent that the pivot is the priority. But as far as the forwards are concerned, you know, it's it's an interesting one because in terms of the left hand side, there's a lot of tactical things to work out, like like I just mentioned really with you know, Balde, what kind of forward do you want to have inside him? If you are betting on Balde being the number one guy for, you know, the next however many years, then creating balance on that side is, is important. 
with the right, the blueprint is kind of set and it has been set very clearly from the beginning. Um, Dembele is the better player, obviously. He just provides more on that right-hand side. His his ability to dribble in bigger spaces and transition and things that just exceed Rafinha is the better. 1v1 dribbler, etc, etc. But Rafinha essentially does the job that he's asked to do on that right-hand side, which is receiving space, make something happen. We talked about that before. Um, and in terms of, you know, squad depth, he is the perfect example of the squad depth that that Barcelona need in every position, in my opinion. Um, whether he's happy with that is is obviously a separate question. But you know, he talks in or he he celebrated about being part of a family, of feeling like he's part of a family in this Barcelona, which I think is very important. So you know, if he is comfortable playing a rotational role and not you know being not being the first choice for the big Champions League games or whatever. I think he is exactly the type of squad depth that Barcelona need and allow him to mature and grow with the, the project, right? Like if you just start chopping and changing every summer, you're not going to allow these, you're not going to get the best out of these players. And he's a type of player who clearly thrives on confidence, on, you know, building up a head of steam. And, you know, to allow him to do that over, over years, I think we'll see an even better version of him. So when it comes to Rafinha specifically, I think... For me, it would be a slam dunk keep if you can. Um, like I said, just provide excellent depth, quality. He's he's given essential goals and assists when it comes to the league campaign, and and you can't ask any more than that from from what is essentially and honestly a backup really to Dembele. So yeah, I just think you know obviously the introduction of Messi, if that were to be the case, just throws a wrench in everything tactically. So. It's, it's very difficult to theorise around that because, you know, Rafinha would be a big loser if, if Messi were to, were to return because of the parallels in their game, you know, cutting in from the right, occupying similar spaces. But generally, if the blueprint is as, as we've seen over the past 12 months, then I think Rafinha is a slam dunk. Yeah, let's keep him around. And exactly the, the kind of player that you want to be keeping around, in my opinion. Yeah, financially, I've said it a hundred times. I don't see how financially and tactically Messi and Rafinha can be in the same squad next season. It just it doesn't make sense. Right. Looking emotionally, looking at the way that Rafinha dealt with being substituted so many times, the frustration he had that he showed with the ways that you're not supposed to kind of show that stuff. Rafinha was very vocal, not even saying things in the media, but in body language, doc. You know what I mean? Doctor terms, like you could see his body language. He was just. He was fed up whenever he was. He felt like he was relegated in a certain way. And of course, Messi and Dembélé. Where do you think you're going to be, Rafinha? So I think that certainly is the Rubicon must be crossed of the, the, the Messi Rubicon about how that affects Rafinha's future. As I said before, if somebody's willing to pay 80 million for him, and you're choosing, and you have to bring back Messi, well then again, like things have to be the way it is. Isn't it? Okay, so last little notes from Espanol, and then I want to just again get into the big, the big picture stuff. The reason why I brought <laughs> the purist on here, and the reason why we're doing this. So. I don't have much to say about the fourth goal. Kunde scored it. De Young over the top. Espanol was ready again to get that fourth, let that fourth goal in. I think they were ready for the a fifth goal as well. It just never happened. And then the two goals that Ter Stegen was not happy about. I do feel a bit bad for Ter Stegen. He had two big saves, one in the first half on Brothway, and then one in the 70th minute as well. But Christensen and Kunde kind of let him down here on the last two goals. Their spacing was all terrible. And I believe on the first goal it was, on the replay, you could see Christensen was looking at Araujo and the rest of the bench who were standing on the sideline, 
getting ready to come into the game <laughs> or, or storm the field or whatever. So I felt like Kunde and Christensen were already preparing their celebrations. And obviously, Espanol were still fighting for anything, some respectability, because obviously their supporters were not too happy with them in that game. And I, I think that the pitch invasion happened because of the way the game went down, yes. But I think it also just became that because of what it meant for Barcelona, winning the league title at their stadium. It's just it's a whole thing. So I do hope, as we've already seen, La Liga is reviewing the tapes. And Espanol, to their credit, is assisting La Liga in finding the actual faces and names of people. So they're giving locations of, of, of season passes. They're giving pictures, photos, media, all that they have. They're giving that to La Liga so they can identify the perpetrators and they can basically ban them forever. And so Espanol is trying to limit, as a club, their own punishment. Because as I said before, if they wind up do going down, then this punishment is likely given in the offseason. They're going to be docked, what, 10 points in the second division? And if you're docked 10 points in the second division, the way back up can be almost impossible because all it takes is missing one or two times. A reminder too, if Espanol goes down, this will be the sixth time that they have gone down since 1929. Them, Barcelona, and what was it, CE Europa were the only three Catalan sides in the very first Liga title in 2019-29. And if they go down, it'll be their, just their sixth time. And every other time, the other five times they've gone down, they bounce right back up. So any kind of punishment from this pitch invasion that, again, docks them points and prevents them from coming right back up could give them, and I'll give you examples, Sporting Gijon, Real Zaragoza. There are other clubs that used to be in the 60s and 70s and 80s in the Liga every season, guaranteed. They went down and the road back up was very difficult. And then they yo-yoed their way back up for a second and they went right back down. And that, that could very much happen to Espanol at the state that they are in financially, and all those other things. Fortunately for them, again, all those other clubs like Sporting Gijón and Real Zaragoza and some of the other quote-unquote bigger clubs in the Liga historically, they also have their financial issues. Even Real Betis has their issues. And there are, there are clubs, certainly Valencia is the best example of this and all. So I think that's Valencia is a team to end this with. But I have no notes about the pitch invasion, about the last few stuff there. It was just, I don't know, it's a rivalry. And that, I think, is what people will remember, for better or worse. And I think all we really learned is that Araujo... <laughs> the way he protected his teammates, the way he went about that. Maybe, uh, Julio, we have to think about giving him one of those four armbands because I think maybe he's already deserves the fourth one. And again, I don't think it's a bad idea to have a young captain and setting him up for the future in however many seasons until he becomes one of the top two or three captains. Like, I'm not telling, I'm not saying give him the captain's armband. I'm saying that if there are three captains in front of him or like most likely going to be on the field, because it looks like next season, Sergio Roberto might be the number one captain. And I can't imagine him starting more than 28 to 32% of games, right? Is that where Sergio Roberto might start next season? So if your main captain isn't, is starting less than 30% of your games, that means that someone else is usually going to be wearing the captain's armband. And I could easily see that being Ter Stegen, especially if Jordi Alba sticks around and Messi doesn't come, because obviously if Messi arrives, he's in number one captain again. He'll be starting most games and you don't have to worry about it. But yeah, I'd give Araujo that number four armband. I guess that's all I got out of all that. Yeah, uh, that's that's fair enough as well. It, it's it's like you said, rivalry. It's really just a side note for me, um, and and something to forget about. But in terms of Rajoy, yeah, I I agree with you. Not not number one captain. I think that's jumping the gun, but certainly in the mix and and setting him up for what looks to be you know a, a role that he was kind of born to fulfill. So yeah, agreed. Yeah. All right. So the purest. Now I'm putting you on the hot seat. It's time to talk about the big ideas. And the fact that over the course of a Liga season, as you mentioned, there are little notes to say 
that you do not just haphazardly win every game by saying, okay, this is what we're going to do this game. <laughs> this is what we're going to do this game. It takes a system. It takes time. It takes philosophy. And the interesting thing that you talked about, especially in your, your latest video, we're going to do all the spoilers for that, but it's been out a few weeks. People should have already watched it by now. And most people have already watched it by now. But let's get into some of those ideas again. Because Xavi, when he came in, I had with that co the coach's voice video he did, I broke that all down, the tactics at Al Saad and the ideas that he wanted to put forth. And I have said over the course of the season, the pressing that Barcelona do is what he promised and what he has brought and what he wanted to institute. But it's Barcelona with the ball as you have evidenced so many times now in the past and very much in this recent video, it's Barcelona with the ball that is much different than the philosophy that he promised. That is where the differences are in terms of being very vertical with purpose, in terms of the formation of 3-2-5 formation, which was a bit of a surprise, but has also, interestingly enough, become in vogue, whether it's Arteta, whether it's Guardiola, whether it's Napoli. All of those teams now run a 3-2-5, teams that have the talent and the ball seem to be running certain systems now the way that it is. And I think the way I want to set you up is probably the thing that you've repeated more than any other is that Xavi's philosophy, instead of using the ball to destroy your opponent, like he kind of promised, instead, his philosophy has been create and exploit space. And all of Barcelona's attacking movements, all of their ideas, the freedom for those players, all comes from the principle of create and exploit space. Yeah, I think the, the big thing that, that came across in that coach's voice video that he emphasized was how important it was for him to control the ball. And that's the thing that Barca fans are looking at it and thinking, well, it doesn't really look like that because we're doing a lot of, you know, direct passes and we're doing a lot of big switches of play. We're doing a lot of just hitting space rather than the controlling the ball, which I think, you know, obviously the the, the big thing that, that Barca fans like to do is look at Pep Guardiola and say, well, he, he's number one, which he is, and his ideas are like this, and he does things like this, which is a heavy, heavy, heavy control-based positional play, and this is what Xavi should be emulating, and if he's not, he's doing something wrong. And the truth is that Xavi's not exactly emulating that. The The basic philosophy of the positional play is, is very similar, and it's based on the same ideas of, of you know, zonal occupation and... and and space and triangles and third man and all the rest of it but the important distinction is the use of the ball and the priorities when you have the ball for Pep Guardiola it's really all about um, minimizing error frank quite frankly uh, I think Mikel Arteta said that Pep would consider himself the most defensive coach in the world and actually that's true he just does it with the ball he does not want his his opponents to have any opportunity whatsoever and he does that by coaching extreme patience into into his Manchester City team, uh, creating opportunities by by very carefully and cautiously moving the opposition around until there is a, an opportunity to strike um, without any risk of failure, essentially. Um, if Pep Guardiola is the most defensive coach in the world, Xavi is one of the most offensive because the priority is not to limit your opponent's chances but to maximise your own. By, by any means necessary. And that is why we've seen so much, I, I call it verticality, call it directness or whatever, um, because any glimpse of, oh, we can hurt them now, the players want to do it. The question is, and the, the, the interesting question going forward, is how much of that are we going to do at every opportunity is on Xavi? And how much of it is Xavi giving his players the driving seat and they're deciding 
you know, Rafin is deciding, Ferran Torres is deciding, oh, I want to make something happen now, Dembele. Um, I want to dribble past two players now, so I'm going to try it. Where's the, where is the balance between Xavi saying, you go and attack as often as you can, and them saying, I want to do, attack as often as I can, you know? Um, so when, as this squad evolves and, and hopefully more mature players are brought in because it's a very young, exuberant squad, will that balance shift based on the, the tendencies of the players? I think it will, and the reason for that is is Pedri, is, is the exemplar of, of control in this squad. When Pedri's on the pitch, he, he actually does tend to break out the zones that, that Xavi has sort of created for him. He goes against the mould of, I'm going to attack space at every opportunity. He creates closer passing options to his teammates. He gets close to Koundé, close to Rafinha. He, re- he circulates the ball more um, methodically and cautiously. And that's as a result of his own tendencies as a player. So while Javi is wanting his team to create a lot of chances and be very offensive and, you know, be relentless in, in like we said earlier, punishing inferior opposition, the tendencies of the players are also being allowed to come to the fore. And Pedri is the only player whose tendency sort of leans towards that control sort of style, if you like. So put more of those players in this team and you will actually see a different dynamic, in my opinion. So that, that's, the, that's the really the interesting part for me. Um, is where well, I, find it funny. I do find it funny that you mentioned Pedri because as you were saying that in my head, I could see a little angel on one shoulder, a little devil on the other. And I think that the balance you mentioned is actually the difference between De Jong and Busquets. And I think there is definitely a correlation between the fact that as Barcelona has been more direct since literally since the, I guess, I mean, world football has changed. And it's one of those things where I always, you know, I, here's my NBA bringing up, but how, you know, when the Warriors started shooting threes back in 2014, 15, they were breaking all these records on threes. And then by 2018, 19, the numbers game had taken over and the Rockets and by 2018, 19 with James Harden had shot almost double the number of threes that even that transcendent Warriors team had shot when they changed the game. And I felt like with Barcelona's system, when Luis Enrique was the very first coach, I really honestly to say, we're going to be much more direct after five, six years of playing a certain way. And we're going to be more direct with that. I would, I would love to see the number of, I mean, you had the numbers here for Barcelona, less sequence time as in time between moves and possession, less passing per sequence, 10 passes or more sequences, and then direct attacks. All of those were less than even Real Madrid. And Real Madrid, with the exception of direct attacks, it's a great surprise that Barcelona had less sequence time with all of their different passes before they make a move than Real Madrid. Again, that is a shocking stat, even though Barcelona had a little bit more possession. But yes, back to the De Jong and, and Busquets thing. Again, it makes a lot of sense to me that De Jong, in the year when Barcelona were most vertical, winds up having his best season in the midfield. And it's not that Busquets had the worst one, but this goes back to the idea of a pivot. So whoever is brought in as that pivot, if it is an Amrabat, I could see Barcelona continuing to lean into the idea of verticality, if that's a guy that's brought in. But if Barcelona do find a way to count every dollar and bring in somebody like Zuba Mendy, that is, again, so I can see Pedri from game to game going, well, what kind of game is this? Is this the Youngs over here and, <laughs> and uh, whoever the, you know, the pivot, Busquets, the ghost of Busquets is over here on his other shoulder saying, no, 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 Pedri, control small passes. Let's, let's take care of the ball. Let's have a 34 pass sequence before we try to make our move and score that goal. But as you mentioned, personnel as well, Dembele plays a certain way. And if Dembele is a key figure in your system, 
then you're going to have to play with verticality. And that is going to be essential because here's what the, I mean, here's what Dembele does not do. Hold on to the ball for long stretches of time. His best thing is to take that ball, do something great with it, and then hopefully Barcelona scored a goal at the end of that move. <laughs> because if they have not, then Dembele is likely given up the ball in the middle of the field. And that's what happened if there's too many passes and you put him in a situation where he is going to fail. And to, to all that point, I mean, that's why Xavi did change his system. And where I also see the questions about Messi and say, well, you know, again, there is a, a way that Barcelona can play next season that maybe supports Messi and doesn't support Messi. And he is such a player that he throws that entire wrinkle in as opposed to this team adapting and becoming not to say more vertical, but more comfortable with the verticality that they established this season. As you mentioned, allowing players like Rafinha to grow and then incorporate, we'll say, longer passing sequences where this year was just vertical because that was the idea. That's what they were trying to do when they were putting chemistry together. But another year of Lewandowski, another year of Rafinha, another year of Koundé, another year of Christensen, another year of Balbe, another year of, I mean, I guess to say Gabi, and another year of De Jong fulfilling this role, as you also have established, a, a role as a controller. And again, that brings all of the emphasis back to not necessarily will Messi be arriving, but who's arriving as the pivot? Who's going to be the player to play most? And I'm not discarding Kessie because he's a part of this equation, but Kessie is not that player. Whoever you may ask, but that think, is not who Kessie I think is. I, I would discard Kessie personally. Uh, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. I mean, he's a good rotation piece, but he is not the player, this shadow figure that we we're talking about. No, but the only question is, is Pedri that shadow figure? Is Pedri that guy? Because that's what you're talking about. So instead of being the angel devil, is Pedri just, I guess, the angel in this circumstance? If having the ball is the angel and, and not having the ball is the devil, then Pedri is the angel in this situation, right? Is he the pivot? I don't think so. I don't like the idea. I like him as the right interior. I think that's when Barca are going to be at their best. But that is also where Lionel Messi plays. So is your pivot Pedri? And is your high interior on the right side Messi? That's really the question we're asking for next season. But Pedri's not my pivot, no. And and mainly just because of the defensive side of it. He could actually do it. I mean, it's it's sort of a joke. Yeah. He could do it offensively. You know, but it, defensively, yeah, he, he doesn't really... It, ball winning capabilities aren't, aren't, aren't there, really. But, yeah, you're 100% right. It all boils down to... Um, but, and I, I like that from Xavi, by the way. Some people are critical of the fact that he sort of allows his players to you know, mold the system rather than he dictates to them exactly how he wants them to play. Personally, and it is a personal thing, I like that he gives them the authority to to sort of become the system itself. And, and, you know, I think in the really big, slight tangent, but in the really big sort of chaos situations in the the knockout games, having your players um, embody the, the system rather than, you know, forcing them to do things that they're not necessarily comfortable with is going to pay dividends, but that, that is sort of another conversation. When it comes to the pivot, though, it is the number one thing that worries me about the progression of, of this team because in terms of age and quality, the core of this team is just so, so incredibly good, but that position is so essential to, to the, the way that this team plays. Get it wrong get that balance between angel and devil, you know, in that with that profile wrong. And I think it just has, it just completely destabilizes everything. Uh, and that's dramatic, but I, I think it's genuinely true. I worry that a player like Amrabat is, is in the mix, really, because I think in terms of 
I, I know there's going to be, there has to be tactical shifts. So obviously Busquets has been playing as a single pivot, which requires a certain skill set. You know, he has to be very, very comfortable in, in isolation and moving the ball on first time and, you know, essentially knowing what's going on around him before he makes any sort of move. That isn't necessarily the case if he shifted to a double pivot. So, you know, things could change in, in the tactical regard. But even so, this is a team that has the vast majority of possession in most games. The ball is going through the pivot all the time. And even though it doesn't look like they're doing a lot, just by moving the ball on with one touch instead of two or three is essential to the ball circulation, to, to being able to find spaces and so on. If you don't have a player that can do that to an extremely high level, I do worry that, that the whole system crumbles. And um, I'm not sure... I haven't done a deep dive into Amrabat really, but just in the clips that I've seen, I'm not sure that he has the technical stability and understanding and, and, and fluidity um, that is necessary in that kind of role. And I do think you need a very extremely high technician um, to do it. And, uh, you know, we've been blessed that Busquets has been able to do both sides, the technician and the destroyer, but um, you can't get away with just having a destroyer, unfortunately. I mean... I've watched a lot of Zuma Bendy, and that player doesn't exist. The player you're talking about, the player to be that player, not only does he not exist in world... I mean, I, I think there is an argument that Rodri in Man City is that is the only one. I think that yeah. is the one and only player that you're talking about that can do the role at the highest level that you're asking for at FC Barcelona next to De Jong and behind Gabi and Pedri and the forwards and things like that. So, I mean, obviously, I'm not saying that Barcelona are going to get in Pedri because... I mean, Rodri, because that's not ever going to happen. But yeah, certainly I don't see any young players who would do that. Because even the player I called for last year in Chouameni, we've seen how difficult it's been for him to adapt yeah. to Real Madrid and how he has struggled to attempt to do that. Because that's why Ancelotti still throws out the corpse of Tony Cruz <laughs> because they need that kind of control. Yeah. Because if they're going to play as vertical as they do play in the, with the likes of Vinicius and trying to get forward on the wings as well, then you do. they need somebody in there to control the game. And the combination of Modric and Cruz was still heavily relied upon by Real Madrid to control games. And that was the variance of, I think, them losing La Liga this season and dropping so many points is because they asked Modric and Cruz to still be those pillars of their system. And they broke down in ways that Busquets didn't. Because again, my compliment for Busquets that I always give him is that guy showed up and played 90 minutes twice a week for 15 years, <laughs> right? The ways that Modric and Cruz have broken down this year and their not to say lack of durability, but they're still world-class players, and I still have all the compliments for those two players. But the fact that Busquets did not break down in the same way that they did, and he was there every week to be the pivot, to do exactly what Xavi needed to do as the system changed around him, that is why Barcelona won the Liga. I'm not saying Busquets is the MVP or why he's the reason why Barcelona won the Liga, but what I'm saying is like he is the difference that what Busquets allowed Barcelona to have and do from game to game, every game, is the difference between the consistency it took for Barcelona to win La Liga and why Real Madrid did drop points. Because again, they were, yes, they had Camavinga stepping out of the spot. I mean, stepping out and becoming a quality player. Vinicius Jr. was arguably the best winger. I mean, he was, not arguably, he was the best winger in the Liga this season. But but Barcelona had just enough where they needed to it. As going back to the, the Lewandowski thing, Lewandowski scored 34% of all of Barcelona's goals in the Liga this season. He got them when he needed to get them. Rafinha, his goal contributions were in double digits. Well, goal and assist contributions were double digits, exactly what they needed to be to get Barcelona over the line. So uh, the purists, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, I think we we could, again, go on about those ideas over and over again. But it's interesting because I think, this is where I'll close, is I think that 
you look at the way that Xavi went about his tactic next season, uh, this season rather, and you kind of put them in this one isolated La Liga season bubble. There are so many questions leading to next season, but the way that Xavi set his team up to succeed this year and only this year with the roster he had, with the squad that he had and the drop-offs he had at certain positions, tell me that this season, especially in the Liga, was a success. That his philosophies and ideas were a success because he adapted to the team he had. And that is something that you expect an inexperienced manager to be incapable of doing. And one of those, I think, underrated things about Xavi as a manager that gives me hope for next season, that he's going to look at who is brought in or who leaves. And he's saying, okay, we made the most of them last season, got as much as we could out of them in the Liga. And how can we get the best of them this season as well, next season? So while I have very little hope for Champions League next year, I do actually have great hope in Xavi's ability to navigate La Liga next season. As we said, though, my biggest fear is how can they handle all that without a pivot? Because again, a variance of not having Busquets from game to game is going to create a whole lot of, again, a 5-1 win or a 2-0 loss. And both of those things feel like they're going to be equally possible without a player to control and the pivot to, to control your, your game from game to game. Yeah, it was always going to come down to uh, why Busquets is impossible to replace conversation because, you know, if you talk about the tactics of this club, it's just essential. It, it's, yep. when, we, when we talk about the angel and the devil and, you know, is this team going to lean towards verticality or control or whatever, that is all going to come down to who is playing in that, that pivot role. And so we'll see. We'll see which way the, the, the scales tilt. And, and it's going to be it's going to be exceedingly interesting regardless. Well, I know the purists that I know everybody is excited to continue to watch your channel, to see what you think of all this stuff, to see how you think some of the, we'll say new signings, if there are any. <laughs> Though, I, I good luck to both of us making high-level content about Anega Martinez, who seems like at the moment to be the only player on his way to the camp. No, especially if Messi doesn't arrive. So yeah, it's going to be difficult to say a whole change of system uh, around a 31-year-old athletic club center back in, in, uh, in Anega Martinez. But anyway, you and I, we have content to make. We'll try our best. We'll do our best. But again, people can check out your channel. I know you have a lot of fun stuff planned for the summertime here coming. Absolutely. We'll be doing all the, the transfer rumors and the what ifs and the how does this guy get fit in here. And yeah, assuming that, that there are signings, like you said, that's the only barrier right now. So if you're one of the few people, my listeners, who is not following the Purist Football on YouTube, do that. Check him out through the show notes below, especially if you're on YouTube, just as easy. He's going to be added down there. But then we ourselves are on Twitter and Instagram, as is the Purist at the Barcelona Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Again, he is on Twitter at, at Purist Football. And then you can join our closed Facebook group, Barcelona Podcast, Patreon. You know, we're over there as well. TikTok. And then, of course, we're on YouTube as well, making my own content. I've got some ideas. And I said some stuff planned for the summertime as well as the Femini in the Champions League final as well. So thanks so much for listening to the show. Till next time, we'll talk to you soon. Of course, the Barca. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.